We, as a church, are in the book of Proverbs, and as anyone who has ever preached through Proverbs knows, you can't just go through Proverbs verse by verse. You have to take it topic by topic, and that's what we're doing in this season of our preaching series is we're taking the book of Proverbs and looking at the different subjects that the Proverbs present to us. This morning, the topic we're going to be looking at is parenting. Now, for some of you, this is very relevant, very relevant, and you might be on the edge of your seats, ready to dig in, ready to take notes. That's Yes, help me, Lord. Others of you are like, yeah, this has nothing to do with my life whatsoever. And I do want to just say to you, I get that. I remember sitting in my church when we did a series on Proverbs looking at parenting. And I was thinking, yeah, I don't have kids. This is not pertinent to me at all. And I would just say, I get that. But I want to broaden, but I'm going to get specific too. I want you to think about parenting much more than just parenting of your own children. (laughs) I want you to think about, especially if you're a member of this church, the children that are members of this church, that you have taken a vow when they become members of this church to support them, to to, to give uh, give them wisdom and insight. Even if you're not even working in children's ministry, you have an impact on them when you greet them at the door or when you say hello to them in the middle of this aisle. I mean, you can have an impact on the children of this church. So you might not be a parent, but you can have a big and important uh, part of their life. And Lord willing, what, what, what Proverbs presents to us can give you a very helpful guide on how you can even think about those kids that are not even your own. So with that being said, we're going to be looking at uh, four different proverbs, and you have those proverbs for you in your bulletin. Let me read to you those four proverbs at this time. First, Proverbs twenty-two six: Train up a child in the way he should go; even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Proverbs twenty-two fifteen: Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Lastly, Proverbs 14, 26, and 27. In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence, and his children will have a refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. I'll never forget the first time that I rode Space Mountain at Walt Disney World. After waiting in line for two hours, I was finally strapped into a seat, and the cars began moving. And they began to move through a dark room. And this dark room had these like lights that were supposed to look like stars. It was truthfully one of the lamest things I'd ever seen. But shortly after I saw those lame lights, I'm being uh, taken up the top of this roller coaster. I can't see anything. And the next thing that I know, I'm moving side to side, up and down, at a very fast rate. I'm laughing and I'm crying all at the same time. It was the first roller coaster I'd ever gone through in my life. When I recall this time, I can see that there are a lot of similarities to parenting. There's a wait. There's a slow start. There's darkness. There's rapid movement. There's sorrow. There's joy. There's fear. What'd you say? (laughs) Not nausea. Yeah. And nausea. Hey, I'm, I'm I'm game with a little crowd interaction. I'm just going off of this imagery, this analogy. And here's what I mean. Roughly 13 weeks after finding out that Kim and I were pregnant for the first time, 
Kimberly found out, she and I found out, that the child she was carrying in her womb had died. To say it was a kick in the gut would be an understatement. It was a sad and dark season of our life, one we will never forget. In 13 weeks, we began our parenting adventure, and it was already riddled with sadness and disappointment. Fast forward two years, mind you, two years of infertility treatments, surgeries, doctor visits, frustration, sadness, disappointment, and then a reserved hope. I'm finally introduced to my firstborn son, Benjamin. And the joy that I'm experiencing in that moment is hard to describe, but it is joy. And it is a joy that has only continued to grow as I've gotten to know my firstborn son. Not to mention my daughter and my other son. I have experienced incredible sorrows, joys, and disappointment. Parenting is like a roller coaster. Moments of sadness, fear, joy, bliss. Thankfully, though, parenting is not a roller coaster. There's far more control than ever we could have on a roller coaster. We as parents have given, been given by God's uh, authority and calling great authority over our children's life. And, and, and it's authority that we are called to implement in their life. And the question is, how do we implement the authority that God has given us as parents? It's a great question. And it is the question that all parenting has to answer. But unfortunately, so many people often wing it, mimicking simply the parenting style that they learned from their parents. Surviving the day so that they can get some peace and quiet that night. Such thinking is foolish. And it is this, th this thinking, just winging parenting, that has caused incredible trauma in all of our lives. Each and every one of us has been parented or have been failed to be parented. And it is these that cause the deep wounds of our lives. If you've ever sat in any sort of counseling or therapy session, you know that one of the primary things that a therapist or counselor addresses is what? Your relationship with your parents. We must consider parenting. It has such an impact on all of our lives. So how then do we consider parenting? Well, thankfully, the book of Proverbs provides us a way forward, a way for us to think of it rather than to wing it. I mean, if you get technical, the entire book of Proverbs is a book on parenting. It is a letter written from a father to a son on how to live. We can learn a lot just from the way that the father in interacts with his son. But more specifically, the father does provide his son with particular Proverbs on how to think and how to parent. And this morning, I want to look at those Proverbs that we might not just wing it as parents, that we might not just wing it as members of a church as we think through our children, that we might give thoughtful intention, that we might pass wisdom on to the children of our home and to the children of our church. The three Proverbs that we're going to consider this morning are the ones that I read this morning. And these three call us to consider three different aspects. If you will, a framework for us to consider how we parent. We must consider their soul, consider their state, and consider their Savior. This is what these three Proverbs present to us, a framework for how we might wisely parent our children. So let's consider these three different aspects of parenting, their soul, their state, and their Savior. First, let's consider their soul. 
Proverbs 22, 6 says this. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Most people, when considering this proverb, consider the necessity of training a child. And while there is certainly merit in the considering of a training of a child, we'll get into this in just a moment, I want you to draw your attention to the end of this proverb, which is the focus of this proverb, which is when they get old. When an athlete trains, they aren't training to train. They train to win the prize. Similarly, a student, when they train, they don't train to get good grades. They train to get a good education so that they may be competent in the field of work they will eventually find themselves in. Likewise, a parent trains their child with the end in mind, knowing that this child will grow old and live forever. We have to get this into our head. That the children that we interact with will one day grow old. They will be leading companies, raising families, educating the next generation, proclaiming the gospel, and governing our society. And they will be the ones that we rub shoulders with in glory. You see, in the midst of changing a diaper for the tenth time before noon, or tending a wound of a three-year-old who's screaming uncontrollably, trying to reason with a five-year-old that they shouldn't play with a knife, these realities make it very difficult for us to think that these are the children that will grow old and run companies and govern nations. It's very difficult in the midst of this, but we must consider that these children have a soul and that that soul will last forever and will make an impact everywhere they go. I love what C.S. Lewis says in his sermon slash essay, The Weight of Glory. And it is worth considering, especially as we consider the children that we deal with. He says this, It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses, to remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature, which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship, or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all only in a nightmare. All day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one of these destinations. It is in light of these overwhelming possibilities. It is with the awe and the circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all of our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You've never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal. And their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. When we consider the soul of our children, we consider it is a serious calling to train them. It is a serious endeavor when you're changing a diaper. It is a serious endeavor when you're trying to Reason with a five-year-old about the knife. These are not small moments because you're dealing with an eternal being, someone that will live forever. We must remember this when we're dealing with our children. We must consider their soul. But secondly, Proverbs calls us not only to consider their soul, but consider their state. What, what is the state of these children? Look at Proverbs twenty-two, fifteen. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline 
drives it far from him. You see, that child that you look at in awe, especially when they're young and they're sweet, they don't do anything, you, the one that you think is the cutest thing you've ever seen is actually a child given to folly. Like you could say a lot of different things. They're not smart. The Bible, though, is a lot harsher about that sweet little child. It says there are none who are righteous. No, not one. It's largely given in this world that this debate. Are people bad or are they good? What's their original state? The Bible, both in Proverbs and in Romans and in the prophets, says that they are not good. <laughs> they are given to evil. And we have to come to this reality of our, the state of a child. We cannot presume innocence. We have to assume guilt because this is what the Bible says. They are not children who we have to protect so that they can remain in their innocence. We have to assume that the state of their soul is one of folly and of sin. And because of that, we have to act and train accordingly. Now, Proverbs 22.15 says the way that we do this is through the rod of discipline. We have to discipline our children. And there's two ways that I want you to consider discipline this morning. One is a proactive way, and the other is a reactive way. We have to think about discipline in this way. So many of us read this, and we think the rod of discipline is just, we better beat our kids on the belly, or on the, on the, or the rear end. Like, belly, that would be bad. No, strike that, no. <laughs> we often think of the reactive way, but Proverbs 22.15 also puts before us a proactive way. Now, let's consider these two ways of discipline in more detail. First, let's consider proactive discipline. Proactive discipline isn't discipline that is given to the child because they've done something wrong. Proactive discipline is given to a child because of their ignorance. Ask any child what they would eat for every meal, and you would probably hear something like cake, pizza, candy, something of that nature. A child doesn't know any better because they are ignorant. And as a parent, we know, yeah, that's probably not the best way to live. Cake, pizza. I mean, like, all you need is a few, few like, years of giving them cake and pizza for, for food. And you're like, wow, that is no way to live as a parent. They need real food. They need no red dye 40. They don't need caffeine, and they need limited sugar. Trust me. Like, if you just give them real food, and you'll see. This is proactive discipline. Proactive discipline is what trains a child in the way that they should go. It is proactive discipline that ultimately forms our influence on our children. I don't know about you, but I hated report card season. I felt like it was a trial verdict being given unto me. And I remember getting it, and I have to look at it before. And I, I mean, I'll never forget that, that sixth grade F that I saw. I mean, it was like a kick in the gut. It's totally my responsibility. But I remember bringing it home. And having to have a conversation with my parents. It was rough. I hated it. But a few years ago, I watched the documentary that, that HBO did on Central High on the 50th anniversary of school integration. And I remember one of the, the boys that they interviewed talking about his report card. And this was really sad. And it struck out, it stood out to me so much so. He said, what I would not give for my dad to ask for my report card. I was like, what? You want your dad to look at your report card? 
I dreaded my parents looking at my report card. You know what it taught me? What a blessing proactive discipline for my family was. That they wanted to know and they wanted to challenge me. They wanted to inform my ignorance that I might be someone better than who I was. Proactive discipline is a gift to our children. It is not a significant burden whatsoever. It is a necessary burden on our children. Children are ultimately longing for their parents to proactively discipline them to teach them how to live and how to live well. And so the question for us, both as parents and as members of this church, as we think through parents, is how are we proactively thinking through our children? And here are just a few ways. This is not, this is not very prescriptive, but it is definitely thinking. This, these are very important questions that we have to think about. What are the movies and shows that we're showing our kids? What are the things that are influencing the way they think? What is the education they're receiving from their school and from their home? How are they learning about God, the Bible, the church? Are they learning responsibility about what it means to be a responsible human and adult? And then as the older they get, we might need to give them, we do need to give them more and more responsibility. These are ways that we can help them grow up and grow up into wisdom, proactively disciplining them, that they might learn how to deal with life. Give them the rod of discipline. The rod of proactive discipline. Of course, discipline isn't just proactive. It's also reactive. Our children make mistakes. They hit, they punch. They want their way to be the way. They're rude, they're arrogant, they're mean, ungrateful, disrespectful, and so much more. So in a position of authority, we have to react to these ways so that they don't grow up to be, so that they grow up to be peaceful, kind, humble, grateful, and respectful human beings. But it's bigger than that. We have to help them understand the way that God sees them. Remember, God is just, and he will repay evil for evil. And one of the reasons why we react to their evil is to help them understand their need for God's grace. We react to their evil and give them consequences for their actions because we need to prepare in them a hunger for the grace of God. You cannot have the grace of God without the law and the consequences of God. And this is what reactive discipline does. When a kid hits their brother or sister, there are consequences for those actions. And as parents, we must give them those consequences. Now, I want to give some just brief guiding principles on how we help them understand those consequences and prepare in their hearts the need for grace. Number one, number one, we don't discipline in anger. When we discipline in anger, we're disciplining them because they have offended us or they've made us look nasty or, or it seems to be like a reflection on us. When you discipline them in anger, you're making it more punitive rather than corrective. Ultimately, you are trying to prepare them to meet the judge, and you aren't him. And so we don't punish their sins, we correct their sins. Don't discipline in anger. And this is so much harder than it is 
to just like, I, trust me, I, I know what it is. But if you're able to calm yourself down and, 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 and you're not going to reason with them all the time, you're going to have a listening ear. There's so much damage done in understanding the right way to live when we discipline in anger. Don't discipline in anger. Discipline. So, so maybe you need to step away for a moment because they have made you so mad. Maybe they've embarrassed you in public spaces. And, and when you are <laughs> boiling hot, just take a moment to step away and then address it with them later on. Secondly, don't, just, just don't discipline them in anger. Secondly, don't threaten a punishment or a correction you're unwilling to follow through with. Your word as a parent is how you exercise your authority. But if you say something that you're not willing to follow through with, and trust me, I've done this, you, you diminish the authority of your word. And when you diminish the authority of your word, you're diminishing the authority of the law. And when you diminish the authority of the law, you're actually diminishing grace. So present to them a consequence that you're willing to follow through on. I love TV night, okay? I love it. It's important for my sanity and for the peace of our home, and my children love it. One of the things that I should never, ever do for the sake of our home is to threaten TV night. But in the anger that I have, don't do that, I will threaten, we are not having movie night. Guess what? That's not something that I'm willing to follow through on because I like that movie night, and they like that movie night. But it diminishes my word and diminishes my authority. Don't give consequences that you're unwilling to follow through with. Think about the consequences that you're going to give to them. Think about it. This is the way that we do reactive discipline wisely and with a little bit more help. So be careful what you say in your discipline. So Proverbs, in order to wisely raise children, we have to consider their soul. We have to consider their state. But perhaps most importantly, we have to consider their Savior. Proverbs 14, 26, 27 says this, In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence, and his children will have a refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, that one may turn away from the snares of death. One of the most difficult realities of being a parent is the fact that you are not your child's savior. You've heard of the term helicopter parents, right? Helicopter parents are those who come in and save their children. They're always hovering around making sure that nothing is hurting them or, 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 or going to, 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 to tear them apart. Helicopter parents believe at the heart that they can be the ones that save their children from folly and failures. But this, my friends, is foolish. This sort of thinking reveals what the parents think of themselves, that they can save themselves. But this, too, is foolish. Solomon reminds us in chapter 14 that there is a place where we can have confidence. There is a place where our children can find refuge. There is a fountain of life in the midst of death. And that comes from the fear of the Lord. The Bible is clear from basically beginning to end that the Lord is the giver of salvation. And it is He we must consider. 
for salvation for our children and also for ourselves. The Apostle Paul's words are fitting to all of us who have been, a child, who have been children to parents and to those of us who have parented children. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. We must remember God in his mercy has brought us and our children salvation from our sin. He has given us grace in the midst of our law-breaking. And it is this grace that enables us to find refuge even in the midst of our own foolishness. We must, as parents, consider the bedrock of our parenting to be the grace and mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. This assumes the law that was given, but it also points us to the redemption and the hope of all of us. We must be people who have at the heart of our parenting grace. Grace. How do we make parenting gracious? First, we need to be people of repentance. We need to repent to our children. If you repent to your children, your children will know that you are not their savior. They will know that, that you have a savior. There's a, there's a joke that Kimberly and I have in our home. We probably shouldn't save up for college. We probably should just save up for counseling for them so, so they can go and process all the mistakes that we had. It's probably very true. But one thing that they should, should do in the midst of their processing when, when they grow older, the ways that we've disappointed them, one of the things that they should know is my parents at least owned it. And that makes it a lot easier to deal with it. We must be people who repent ourselves because when we are consistently repenting, we're remembering that there is grace. We're remembering <laughs> that there is a Savior as well. So repent to your children. If you're not aware of the ways that you've hurt your children, ask them. Listen, digest, and don't defend. You will have no idea what a gift this is to your children. Repent to your children. This is how grace gets to be at the heart of your parenting. Secondly, rejoice. Not only repent to your children, but rejoice in front of your children. The reality of repentance is that it always will lead to rejoicing. When grace is received, grace becomes the very heart of your life. There's thanksgiving and there's gratitude and there's joy. How could a God so just and holy and righteous extend his own mercy and grace to me, a sinner? How could he do this? I don't know, but he did. And this rejoicing should bubble up. And it should be the very thing that our children should see. You should sing praise songs in your car with your children. And they should roll their eyes at you when you hit the chorus. Because you are, I mean, like, they, they might have to say to you, mom and dad, hey, 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 watch the road, watch the road, watch the road. Because you're tempted to raise your hand because you're rejoicing so much in the Lord and in the grace that he's given to you. You have no idea the type of influence your rejoicing has on them. Most of you guys know that this has been a season of hockey for my family. It's just we Benjamin started playing hockey this summer, and it kind of rekindled this love of hockey that I have from my from my childhood. And one of the things that we're doing, and it's this hockey craze that we have, is we're watching the team of my youth, the Florida Panthers. And ESPN has done a wonderful thing, and it's allowed us to watch every Panther game for seven dollars a month, and it's awesome. 
So every night the Panthers are on, it is a nightly affair to watch the Panthers. And I begin to rejoice in the Panthers as they are tearing up the competition. And guess what it does to my kids? It leads them to rejoice in them as well. The joy of watching a team win a game. It's the same as they watch you rejoice in your Savior. We consider their Savior to remember that, indeed, we're not their Savior, so we can repent. But we, too, rejoice in our Savior because it will point them to the Savior for their own hearts, too. So, my friends, consider their Savior. In doing so, you will make a gracious home, not a perfect home, because those don't exist. You will make a gracious home, and you will make a wise home. Parenting is incredibly difficult and challenging. This has been my experience. But it is easy in the midst of this difficult experience to just wing it. Is it not, parents? But let us not do so. Let us follow the wisdom that Solomon has provided us in considering their soul, their state, and their Savior. And let us hold these before our children, that they too may be wise, and that the wisdom that they receive from us will be given to the world. Let me pray. Our gracious God, we give thanks to you for our children, for the ways that they remind us that we are in deep need of your mercy and your grace. As parents, we are so prone and given to the inconsistencies of our own life, and we need your grace. We need your grace for ourselves, but we need your grace that our children might know that grace as well. So help us to consider our parenting and our leading of children this day that you might be glorified and that our children might begin to walk more wisely in the midst of this world our world desperately needs this for our children amen